Challenge of the Decade. Challenge of the Decade is a podcast series by FMO, the Dutch Entrepreneurial Development Bank, now celebrating its 50th anniversary. Is it still the 50th anniversary, Peter Dam? Uh, 51st It's the 51st yeah, by now, right? Year, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, in this series, we'll be discussing the challenges that lie ahead and the actions that need to be taken to reach the UN's sustainable development goals in the coming 10 years. Now the coming nine years, actually, and soon to be the coming eight years. This is all creeping up on us, guys. Anyway, my name is Jonathan Gruber, and in this episode, we're talking about soil, carbon, and biodiversity. And to help me answer these questions and many, many other questions, I have two guests right here with me in the brand new podcast studio that we're in for the first time. So if it sounds a little different and you've been listening to the series, you now know why. Uh, my guests are Peter Nell Bohard. She's the Director of Agribusiness, Food and Water at FMO. Hello, Peter Nell. Hello, Jonathan. Nice to be here. And also to, to my right here in the studio is Barbara Barsma, CEO of Rabo Carbon Bank at Rabobank and Professor of Applied Economics at the University of Amsterdam. And welcome to you too. Welcome to the both of you. Thank you very much. And congratulations on your 30, uh, 51st anniversary. I'm also 51. <laughs> oh, you don't look it. No, you really don't. You look no, amazing. Yeah, that's very nice but of you to say so. But um, no, but thanks. It's very nice that yeah. the FMOs. Yeah. I'm as old as the FMO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And and I'm older, but that's a different show. Anyway, welcome to the both of you. I'm glad to have you. And I'm going to start off with Pete Janelle. And what okay. does a director of agribusiness at FMO in particular do? Well, it's a very good question. And as the word already indicates, my job is to direct people into a certain direction. And I have 40 people uh, that I'm responsible for to make sure that we reach our goals and fulfill FMO's mission, which is not to make profit, but to create local prosperity and local, I mean, in developing countries so that all people can live and within the means of the planet resources. Now, what does that mean? It means that we think that it's that this is best done by financing local entrepreneurs, uh, not governments, and by providing them with bank loans and not grants. And this is our way to ensure that we support sustainable business models that uh, remain in the country for uh, a longer time, that exist longer. So the people uh, that uh, report to me, that those are the investment bankers or the, uh, the, the people who invest in these local entrepreneurs by way of loans or equity. That's really interesting to me because you made a real point of saying not to governments. Why did you say that? Because um, uh, we believe that um, uh, local prosperity is best served by having uh, local people uh, inv- create businesses that create jobs uh, that help people to earn income. Right. And so uh, you avoid like, any possibility of, can I, can I just say this straight out, any possibility of local corruption from local governments or that kind of thing to avoid all that? And it goes straight to the... Yeah, we, we have a, mo- a lot more control over what the money is spent for, on. Yeah. Right. Okay, great. And Barbara, you do like a lot of things, actually, in researching you. I discovered that you are an educator, right? You work with the Dutch Central Bank, and I've, I've, I've seen you on TV. Um, but we're here to focus on your work as CEO at the Rabo Carbon Bank. And CEO, that means that you're the boss. So my question really is, is what does the Rabo Carbon Bank do? The Rabo Carbon Bank is a startup within this huge bank, Rabo Bank. 
and that's very interesting. What we do is we do, we help, we enable farmers, empower them to make the change, the transition to more sustainable ways of farming. And by doing that, we help to combat climate change. And we do it as a bank, but at the same time, we also make Rabobank better. Because uh, Rabobank um, is a financial institution and what we do is, well, we uh, we live on interest margins, so to say, uh, but these those interest margins are really small. So we also need to think about our own future. And what we're doing at Rabo Carbon Bank is actually combining the two, making the world better, making agriculture more sustainable enabling farmers to do that and on the other hand making the earning model of Rabobank Rabobank I should say in English uh, more sustainable because what we do is fee based and not interest margin uh, oriented so um, that's in a nutshell so you're saying you're what you're doing is actually making the bank richer no, we are not. Yeah, richer in a broader sense, um, because we make the bank richer by pricing those things that have value to society, but are not yet priced in the market. And we do that via our credit risk uh, models. We do that via um uh, giving farmers a reward for something that they do not get paid for on the market. And that is actually what Rabo Carbon Bank is about. Putting a price on things that are so important for the future of the bank, for the future of the world, for the future of the farmers themselves, and are not yet priced because governments fail massively because there is no carbon tax. And without carbon tax, farmers and factories and, well, all of us, we keep emitting carbon uh, dioxide and equivalents, uh, greenhouse gases. Um, and what we do is we, we heat the planet. And that has major effects on the welfare in the broad sense, well-being, perhaps a better word, uh, welfare, uh, and, 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 and the opportunities of future generations. And we don't pay for that. And what we actually want to do is to make sure that we do pay for it in terms of credit risk, in terms of fees, in terms of uh, rewards for farmers who do the right thing. I see you nodding your head. Look, we're yeah. already into the yeah. weeds on this, guys, and we all I did was introduce you. <laughs> so <laughs> no, but, but this is the beauty of being a bank. I mean, uh, I think we are really an. FMO is also a bank. We're also a bank. And yes. can I just correct you there for something that you said earlier on? Is that you don't have that uh, FMO doesn't think about profits? No, I said it's not our goal. Right, but you do have but to we, make a profit. We, yes, and and rightfully so because the the way the bank is an instrument to achieve what we want to achieve, and that is sustainable business. A sustainable business is not only about environment, but it's also financial sustainability. Right. Because it doesn't make sense to support companies that don't have a viable business model because they will disappear. You want to have a viable business model that makes money and contributes to the planet. And that's exactly what Barbara was exactly. saying, isn't it? Yeah. She was saying, "Look, we got to." Make this sustainable, not just in terms of sustainability. When no. we say sustainability, we're talking but about the environment. But she's saying sustainable, that the business has to be sustainable. Yes. That's what you're saying. It's not yes. just ecologically sustainable, right. but sustainable in the sense of future proof. But I, I very much agree with you, that uh, Peter Nell, that um, it's not profit for a profit. No. It's the quality of the profit that matters. If you earn a decent profit 
with um, uh, sustainable with financing sustainable farming wow that's a good profit that's nothing yeah. to be ashamed of yeah. if you earn a, a profit out of uh, financing conventional um, carbon emitting very intensive uh, uh, industries well that's something to really think about if that's a good plan I don't think that's a good plan and I think that that's why I work at Rabo Carbon Bank to also make sure that we transition from those let's say conventional very carbon intensive uh, industries to more sustainable in in a broad sense uh, um, and make the quality of our profit better because that's also what society is asking of us so this is really interesting because we are already let me check like maybe seven or eight minutes into the show we haven't said soil yet Oh, you want to talk so about what we, soil? So what we've done is what we've done is we've established why this yeah. your businesses are doing what they're doing, and that's yeah. good, right? Yeah. So now yeah. people understand what's in it for your respective banks, yeah. and to a certain extent, a small amount, what's in it for the farmers themselves. But let's talk about soil uh, uh, right now, and then of course, obviously, we're going to get mm-hmm. to the farmers a lot more after that because they're the ones who work with the soil. But th- let me ask you a little biodiversity one hundred and one. And now I'm showing my own ignorance. Uh, I'm going to admit, and I think a lot of people who are listening to this uh, also don't know this, that we all know, okay, CO2 fights climate change, rather reducing CO2 fights climate change. But how does soil reduce CO2 emissions? How does soil do that? Soil has a great capacity it just not just gives us our food, but it also can store carbon. Not in, in the sense that there are like gas bubbles underneath. No, it's if you look at the soil, if you take a hand of soil, you see this very rich life within the soil. You see little animals, you see all kinds of colors, but you also see a dark color. And that's actually carbon. And the healthier the soil, the better the absorption capacity of the soil for carbon. So, it, so, so how does that physically a, work? I actually don't understand how this physically... Th- th- think about plants. Uh, I mean, plants, plants are carbon. So uh, a plant grows, taking carbon out of the air, CO2 out of the air, and with photosynthesis, it turns it into carbon. The stems, the roots, the fl- it's all carbon. And what you see of a plant, one third is above ground, but more of it is below ground. So the the roots are organic matter, if you like, carbon, solid carbon. Uh, To understand it better, perhaps is one third of carbon is in the air and two thirds is in the soil already. But does it like, does like the soil itself physically suck the carbon out of the air? I mean, that's the the bit I don't get. the, 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 The roots that are in the soil are the organic matter. So if you make sure that that sufficient roots and bacteria and, and everything that's related to it stays in the soil and doesn't evaporate uh, into air, eh? plants decay and then it evaporates into the air and becomes CO2 carbon in the air, which you don't want. You want to take the carbon out of the air. That's the main What you want to do, you have organic matter, plants, but also little animals. And the richer the life within the soil, and and that's also the the plants and the dead plants, and in Dutch you would say compost, what is the English word? Compost. 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 And that's really what what enhances, what increases the, 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 the carbon intensity of the soil. And the beautiful thing is, 
the healthier the soil, the better the absorption capacity to take on to to become even more black, full with carbon, so to say. Um, the the better it is for the health for uh, for the health of the soil, and the more productive the soil will be. So actually, it's it's. There's, there's, this is a win-win uh, situation because a healthier soil can help us to combat climate change, but at the same time, a healthier soil can also help us to have, in a natural way, a more productive food system because a healthier soil full of carbon can produce more uh, crops per hectare. It's just better soil. It's better soil. If you look and at it's the full of, I'm sorry, it's full of minerals and vitamins. If you look at the Netherlands, for instance, mm-hmm. and if we had a broccoli like a, a few decades ago, it was full of minerals and vitamins. If you, on the same soil, have a broccoli nowadays, it has 75% less vitamins and nutritious value. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the soil's been depleted. Because of be- we've been farming in a way that's been taught to all of those farmers, which is traditional, not regenerative, not taking into account the soil health. So actually, soil health is it's, it's like a win-win, marvelous situation. Yeah. Yeah. Would you explain to me, Peter Nell, yeah. what soil sequestering means? Is that the, it's the same? We've literally been saying that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's taking carbon out of the air into the soil through the plants. Grass, for instance. If you keep grass on the, on the land, the, the roots of the, of, of the grass is organic matter. It's carbon. So if you keep that in the soils, you sequester carbon. You take it out of the air into the soils. Oceans also do that, by the way, but then different way. But uh, soils also. Can I tell you something about the carbon balance in the world? What we do on a global scale, we all globally emit, it was 2020, over 51 billion tons of carbon dioxide equivalents that goes from the earth in the atmosphere. Then 60% of that carbon dioxide equivalents, those greenhouse gases, stays in the atmosphere. 40% goes back to uh, uh, to the earth. And that 40% that goes to the natural carbon sinks, soils, also forests, and the ocean. And what we are trying to do is to bring back balance here to, on the one hand, reduce the emissions, so put less in the atmosphere to begin with, and to bring back more from the atmosphere, because if we would start emitting any greenhouse gases today, there's still so much greenhouse gases in the atmosphere that we still would warm up. So if we take more out of the atmosphere and put it in those natural carbon sinks, and we're talking about soil here, but you could also have forests and and oceans, um, then you bring back balance, less emittance, more removal. So I think we need to talk now about how this happens. Like, what are you ask actually asking your farmers to do or or what are you asking them to change specifically in their behaviors that they're not doing now that they need to that they need to start doing and really get going with in order to make soil not just more productive for food because this is definitely something we're talking about but also make it uh absorb carbon and uh, sequester carbon did I say that right? Was that grammatically correct? Yeah, that- I, you're here, the native speaker, so that's up to you. But one example that always puzzles people when we talk about this, what farmers uh, could change if they want to sequester carbon and if they want to have more soil health, is that they stop plowing, less tillage. And what have they been taught 
all of their lives well, for yeah, ages. That's, isn't that crazy talk? I mean, haven't farmers been plowing the land since the start of agriculture about 12,000 years ago? That's how they do yes. it, right? Yeah, and that's, but what we have learned in the last decades or even perhaps re- more recent is that every time you... Um, that you're plowing, you 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 rupture the structures in the air in the earth. You you actually endanger the richness of the, of the soil life, and you uh, then an an enormous amount of carbon uh, is actually emitted from the soil instead of sequestered in the soil. Can I can I ask you? Have you and I'm going to come to you, Peter Nell as well, because you guys deal with very different parts of the world. Um, when you have you actually had a conversation with a farmer and said to them, "Great, thanks for stopping by the uh, Rabo Carbon Bank, and I'm glad that you're willing to work with us." Now, stop plowing, please. How do they react to that? Oh, that's interesting. Could you tell me more about it? I really want to make a change. Uh, and um, then we're, I, I'm, I'm an economist. I'm a banker, so I'm quite modest. But then we have agronomic advisors. Oh, wait, wait, wait. They, do, they, really, they don't push back and say, no, that's, that's no. crazy talk? No? no, no, farmers really want to make a difference. So, Peter Nell, you have the same reaction because you deal in the developing world specifically, right? That is, that is more difficult because they need to make sure they increase their production to get an income yeah, for the small plots. But when you talk with larger farmers and we have a very nice example together with Rabo actually in Argentina which is also an area that we work in of a company that has um, turned 26,000 hectares that's a lot of land um, into a carbon sink basically by um, uh, uh, really changing their way of plowing but also to, to, to use certain crops that cover the soil, because what you want to do is to have less erosion of the soil, to not let the wind and the water wash away all this organic matter. You say this to a farmer, and they say to you, Peter Nell... No, we don't say plowing is bad. What we say is, what are your local circumstances? What is your soil now? What is your climate? Because not, there's not one solution for everybody. But right. there are different solutions depending on the soil and the climate. But farmers in general are very open to think with us to not only produce more what, what they've been told so far. Eh? So far it was produce more and more because our population is growing. Right. Now we say to farmers, produce more, less land, and do it also with less emission. And look here, you can also help us with sequestration, taking carbon out of the air. And they're very open to that. They get it. Yeah, of course. And it's a long-term play. And I think that what's really important to know, it's not just stop tillage or less tillage. There are other practices too, and it's the mix of the practices that makes the difference. It's less fertilizer or yeah. even no fertilizer or only biological fertilizer instead of chemical fertilizers. It's cover crops. That means that in between your regular crops, you have like other crops, uh, other plants and you leave it on the land you don't take it out you only take out what you need to be have for food and the rest you leave it on the ground you don't plow you leave it on the ground and besides cover crops it's very important to have crop rotation so to have not monoculture 
So all of those huge soil plant plantations or, or sugar or whatever, uh, no, to have crop rotation, all of these. So it's a mix of, of various uh, changes in practice. And what we notice, the same as Peter Nell was talking about, is that farmers are very open to knowledge, but they simply do not have the knowledge at hand. So if you tell them and show them what's in it for them. Yeah. Ah, ah, of okay, course. Yeah. But of course they need to be they need to, to eat themselves, not just from their land, but they need money for to build their houses and so on. Yeah. And uh, and get their children to school. So that's why it's it's there's nothing wrong with thinking in terms of what's in it for me. And there we have this set up this for me is a transitionary instrument. If you sequester more, if you if you make your soil healthier by t- changing all of your practices, you're able to sequester more carbon in the in the soil. We can measure that. We can monitor it. We can actually have protocols on that and make certificates on that. Then you have a carbon credit that you can sell to somebody who needs to compensate their non-avoidable emissions. Well, if that's too complicated, we'll come back to it later. But they can earn something with sequestration in the soil. They can sell credits out of that. And that's not like a goal in itself, but it is a means. It is an instrument on their way to more regenerative farming practices, on their way to more sustainable farming practices. So, so in the so, transition, but, they but, can, they but, can, we can, they can pay it for themselves. The transition by selling these carbon credits. Well, today, well, yeah. Today they don't get any reward huh, for that. They they only get the reward for the fact that they're producing. So they produce a certain amount of grain or cocoa or coffee, and they get a price for that. But nothing extra for doing it in such a way that we're all, that they're also helping uh, avoid climate change. So how is what you're talking about different? How is that better? When you say they get nothing extra, so what is the extra? What well, are they today, getting? Today, uh, for instance, uh, we, we are financing a coffee trader. And they have more than 100,000 smallholders, farmers supplying them coffee. And they collect it locally in Africa, in Rwanda, for instance. And on these collection points, they're also educating farmers uh, about fertilizer use and so on, and, and how to uh, prune their, their, their bushes and to get a better yield. And so today, they're rewarded by the fact that, that because of better soil health, they get more coffee from their bushes and therefore more income. But that's not enough. Uh, if you look at, for instance, in the Netherlands, where we are promoting electric, use of electric cars, we had governments giving incentives for people to start mo- uh, using more electric cars. Uh, we don't do that for farmers. So, so, yes, there's something in it for them because they produce more in the long term, but that's not enough. Peter now actually says something really important, and your question popped that up because in the beginning <laughs> she was so proud. No, but, uh, well, she, she knows that. She, she knows up. that. Well, anyhow, in the beginning we were talking about what is uh, FMO, what is Rabo Carbon Back actually about? It's about pricing externalities, and what one way of pricing is by paying for those carbon credits paying for the fact that they make their soil healthier, which is a, which is a goal, um, 
by uh, and then you use the means of the carbon credits to make that economically viable for them to do. And uh, I think and that is... What you do they do, though, with those carbon credits once they've earned them? What can they actually do with it? They, they, For instance, there are large food corporates and many other also non-food corporates that have pledged publicly to the world, like in 2030, we want to be net zero emitters. What does that mean? It means that they have this very proactive uh, uh, reduction strategy on greenhouse gases. But in 2030, they won't be able to avoid all of those car, uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So they need to compensate for their non-avoidable... Who, who's they? Uh, Nestle, Starbucks... Oh, you see, but uh, now you're talking about big businesses again. I'm yeah. talking about farmers. No, but the, those large corporates, they have made those pledges publicly and they need to compensate for their non-avoidable emissions. And you can compensate by buying uh, high-quality uh, removal rights and a carbon credit is actually a uh, uh, that fulfills that goal. So can I take this back a bit because now I'm a little bit confused. So I think what you're saying is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, and you correct me too, Peter Nell, if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're saying is, is, is these big companies go to their farmers who supply them. And they farm in a certain way, and as a result of farming in a certain way, a way that's good for the soil, that sequesters CO2, that makes the soil more productive, they earn a carbon credit. And when I say they, I don't necessarily mean the farmer, but at the company who is buying their... Their goods, the company who is buying what has been farmed in this way. No, no, it's a little bit different. The farmer is changing their practices. Right. And uh, it's actually not... A large corporate like... Well, all of the names we just said, uh, PepsiCo, uh, Mars, uh, I don't know, all of those large names, they don't go directly to the farmer, but they need an intermediary. And those intermediaries can be FMO, can be Rabo Carbon Bank. And those intermediaries actually have a one-stop shop to make sure that both the large corporates... Um, doesn't have to take, uh, doesn't have to give agronomic advice, do all the monitoring, do all the protocoling and uh, and and the carb and the generation of the credits, and we have this one-stop shop for farmers where we really unburden them in very much the same way, um, and we make sure as an intermediary that supply of carbon credit meets demand by large corporates. Well, who gets the carbon credit though? The the large corporate. Uh, gets the large cre- gets the carbon nice. credit, but he buys it from the farmer via the farmer FMO. Gets, uh, the farmer gets the money. The farmer gets uh, the money, uh, and that's right. important. So the farmer earns. Let me see if I'm saying yeah. this right. The farmer earns the carbon credit, and the large corporate buys it from yes. the farmer, and that is how they earn. An more extra money. revenue. They yeah. earn extra revenue. So they earn revenue from the sale of the crop. And they earn revenue exactly. from the sale of the carbon credit. Uh, did, did I get this right? Yes, almost. Yeah! But I, I'm even going to make you more happy because uh, there's not just these two things, like the extra revenues from the carbon credits and the, the crops uh, revenues. No, there's a triple dividend. Because if you make your soil healthier, it's not just the carbon credits, uh, but it's also your the extra productivity. So there's an extra yield from your crops. There's more nutritional value also from that. And very, very important, um, by using those uh, more regenerative practices, um, farmers also reduce their own emissions. So it's not just about removal, taking from the atmosphere, putting it in the soil, but it's also reduction of their own uh, carbon emissions. And that's important because 25% 
of all global emissions comes actually from, car, from food and agriculture. And there's even a fourth, because I see you already smiling, but now I <laughs> want to really hear you smile. Because the most important thing is perhaps that those things, that those positive effects that are really difficult to price, like extra biodiversity, better water management, more resilience against extreme weather, is actually also um, something that you win with a healthier soil. But it is very difficult to get a price for that. But because of those high quality uh, carbon credits with soil sequestration, large corporates are willing to pay an extra amount. And with that extra amount, we also get extra biodiversity and so on. So normal credits are, for instance, like 10 euro or 10 dollars, and these already do like 60 or 70. Today, maybe that's also a nice example. Today we're already doing this with forests. If you conserve a portion of forest, which is a carbon sink, trees absorb the carbon from the air and store it in their, in their roots and in the tree itself, and we, they generate carbon credits. We It's sold so that you have actually an income from conserving a forest. If you don't, you wouldn't earn any money. So, Who, who gets that income from conserving a forest? The, the, the people landowner. and the companies that, that, that uh, conserve these forests. So the owners of the forests, they generate income from the wood that's coming out of the forest, but it's usually not enough for, to pay for making sure that the forest is protected, that it doesn't get chopped illegally and so on. So right. You need money for that. Right. So carbon credits generates that for forests already today. Okay. So what we're saying is also farmers can pl- can contribute to this and also have a carbon sink available, not just forests, also plants, crops, graze land. And, uh, but today that doesn't generate any carbon credits. So there's no recognition, no reward for farmers who have decided to do that. Only the rich farmers can do that now. And that's what you see now is that the head of farm in Argentina is doing it from a purpose-driven agenda, but also because they have the money to do it. Do the farmers there tell you this is great? Why weren't we always doing it this way? Or why? I mean, what's the feedback? Well, the, the issue is because these are the small farmers. Because because Barbara deals yeah. with these giant mega Western mega farms, you deal with small people in the developing yeah. world. In the developing world, you, it's a different issue because you have degraded land, as, as if you like, where the yield is very low. So there, the agenda of of uh, the farmers are very willing to cooperate with making their soils more healthy, so they have more yields, more production. Right. Yeah, so that helps, of course, that as an argument, but it would be even better if we can also reward them with carbon credits for what they're doing. And, then, and that's happening, is what you're saying. It's right? not happening. It's we, today, it's, there's no carbon credits for that. Well, they're actually, they're, they're, what, what we do... Barbara's working on that. Yeah. What we do is, uh, <laughs> Rabobank, you're completely right. Our clients are large-scale farmers uh, in mainly uh, the US, Brazil, uh, Latin America, Australia, New Zealand, and Europe. But if you want to change, fundamentally change the food system, and we need to do that to make it more sustainable and to put more nutrition value for, for lots of people, the growing population and so on, we need also to, to make sure that the smallholder farmers are part of that transition. We need the smallholder farmers. So even a, a bank like Rabobank, who has mostly those larger scale farmers in their books, we also have a, a, a project, a products, carbon credits generating projects for smallholder farmers in developing countries. We do it solely at this point in time with agroforestry. So not forestry, but agroforestry. And why? Because soil sequestration is still 
very high tech, data intensive, very, very, um, you need to, to have a certain level of knowledge, uh, access to the internet, access to data and so on. And those large scale farmers, wow, they have like, yeah. they have that. And for the large, the, the smallholders, you also want to, them to be able to make a, well, extra revenue and and better soil. But can they even do it? Because you're saying it's data intensive in places that are underdeveloped. I mean, is that even possible, Peter? Yeah, because uh, that is the beauty. Because today, uh, banks are responsible for their clients and clients are responsible for their supply chain. Uh, So... Going back to the coffee example, where yeah. you have hundreds of thousands of smallholders, these coffee traders that buy the coffee nowadays are not sitting back in their head office and waiting for the coffee, coffee to arrive. They go into Africa to explain to the farmers what they should do to uh, produce more coffee. And is it working? That's my main Absolutely. question. Absolutely, yeah. We have a very nice example in Rwanda, where you have all these washing stations, as they're called, where they collect the coffee, where they're also educating uh, the farmers on uh, what kind of fertilizers to use, less fertilizers, prom- uh, help the soil getting better, and so on. And are the, are the big companies then getting the carbon credits that they're looking no, for from the small no. farmers? Not yet. That's still no. not happening. No, today no. not. The, but why? Because there, we still need to set up the protocols, define yeah. everything on what what predictive modeling, what modeling is actually allowed to make sure that you can prove that what you promise will be extra stored in the ground, um, yeah. that that's actually there. And but don't we really, really have to do that? Because looking back at the notes that you guys provided me, uh, especially you, Peter Nell, it <laughs> says here that most farmers in the world, 78% of all farmers are this small Yes, farmers. Well, that's that, completely. Yeah. But there are small, so you need both of them. You need large scale farmers and the smallholders. But I think that what we're doing, so we work uh, as Rabo Carbon Bank on on both things. We have projects for smallholders that they can that they can do with agroforestry, like two trees on their on their well, small lands. It's like less than ten hectares. You can put two trees, a cashew nuts and mango tree, and then when the the tree is growing, it stores extra carbon. You can get carbon credits out of that. Once the tree stops growing, it's really important to keep it there, but it will give the farmer mangoes and cashew nuts. For the large holders, large uh, scale farmers, what we're doing there, we are with together with them developing these protocols these models these satellite monitoring systems and so on and make sure that we can scale it in a cost efficient way so that it yes will be available for smallholders in the future right Yes, Peter. Now. And I think it's also, I mean, we can wait until farmers, uh, until these malls that we've just explained will work without any additional incentives, but we don't have the time. I mean, the, the, the problem is really uh, uh, very large, uh, the carbon sequestration, uh, the carbon in, in the air and the global warming and climate change. And it's going to affect the developing world the most, as well as our food production, also for us. So we need to act, and I think the credit, uh, carbon credit system can accelerate that. I mean, that's really a very important question. Yeah. As we sort of like slowly make our way to the end of this show, this brings me to uh, a, an extremely important question to the both of you. Yes, I know. She's like, oh, Peter Nels, but I have notes? so much more to talk about. <laughs> what do you mean the end of the show? No, but it's, it's, it's true. There's, we, we need to think about what is the one most important thing that people who are listening to this program need to know about what you're working on right now. Like, in, in other words, what I'm saying to you is people who are listening – they're listening for a reason. They're going to take something away from this show. 
from having listened? What's the one thing that you need them to understand? For me, it is a very optimistic message because I can understand with the COP26 coming up and and all of those very depressing reports on how bad we're doing, we can make it work if we um, use the potential of our natural carbon sinks um, we can make it work we can combine fighting climate change and making the food system better and in that combination there's soil health that's actually doing that trick and to okay. end with this very positive thing please be aware that the organic uh, carbon storage potential in soils globally is 2400 billions of tons if we are able to enable farmers to really make the grounds that they're standing up on uh, uh, healthier, then we can have a significant impact on climate change and the food system. Can we do it by 2030? Challenge of the decade, you know. Yeah, sure. We'll really? Try to, no, 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 we can't do it because soil, need to, soil needs time yes. to become healthier. And, uh, but I think these are long-term solutions, but you can start today and that's actually yeah. what, it, yes, we can instead of, <gasps> I don't know what to do. Right. But not by 2030 because it takes too long. No, but we it's can just start bi- that's today. That's just biology. Right? And, and <laughs> we have a dream as Rabo Carbon Bank, let's make it very personal, and that is that we want to have removed and uh, reduced one um, uh, uh, billion ton of carbon dioxide equivalents by 2030. Sounds like a lot, is it? Yeah, it is a lot. And we we're, we need to work every day very hard to work with farmers and, and food corporates to make that change. But I'm But I'm very positive and optimistic that we can, in the end, make the change because we put the incentives right. We give rewards for things that have value but are not priced on the market. We correct the market. Peter, now the same question to you was, what's the one thing you want people to take away from well, the show? It's, I fully agree with Barbara, absolutely. It's a positive message. And um, farmers are not only contributing to the problem, but can also uh, solve the problem of uh, global warming. And we should credit them when they solve global issues like that. The farmers themselves? The farmers, yes. They don't get enough credit, do they? No. We don't talk about them much, do we? Well, we talk about them. When well, you guys do because blocking, that's your business. Uh, blocking but traffic. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, it's very often in a negative way because they also, uh, uh, it, it has been pointed out rightfully so that they are also contributing to, to, to emissions. So let's see how we can change that. And, and there is a way to change that. So let's hear it for the farmers. Let's, let's give them a little <laughs> round of applause. But, but the yes, indeed, because now they're framed as being part of the problem, whereas what we are actually, both of us are working on to make them part of the solution. And yes, they can be. Yeah. Right. That's great. Thank you so much, you guys. That was a great show. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, so let me just say that that was the show. Do you feel good? I mean, do you feel like you've contributed in some way as a result of taking part in this show? I hope so. And I hope that I've contributed to the party of FMO being 51 years of age. 51. Peter, thanks a lot. No, really good. And I really appreciate uh, uh, your help in in this. And also you, Jonathan. It was a good show. Ah, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Peter. Anyway, big thank you to uh, the both of you. My guests were today Peter Nel Bogaert, the Director of Agribusiness, Food and Water at FMO. Thank you, Peter Nel. And uh, thank you, Barbara Barsma, CEO of Rabo Carbo Bank. 
And thank you to Barbara Barsma, CEO of Rabo Carbon Bank at Rabobank and the Professor of Applied Economics at the University of Amsterdam. Thanks to you. My pleasure. Now, we are six episodes in, which means that this is still pretty much a new podcast, so we'd love to know what you made of it. What would you like to hear more of or less of? Let us know. You can rate the show or leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. I promise you, we read them. And you saw it coming. Don't forget to subscribe. And you saw it coming. Don't forget to subscribe. Challenge of the Decade is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on our site, future-minded.fmo.nl. Future-minded.fmo.nl. This has been Challenge of the Decade. My name is Jonathan Gruber. Have a challenging week. Say goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> you like the Daltons. Bye. The Daltons or yeah. the Waltons? Uh, oh, yeah, the, the, the Waltons. The family. Oh, the Waltons. The Waltons. Oh, the Daltons is from the comics. The Daltons is a... Uh, d- d-